All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it off, follow along on screen in your outline, um, or use the Central Church app. Um, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at today. This is week number four of our Christmas series called A Voyage to the Manger. And we've been looking at different characters in the Bible and how they got to the manger um, or how the manger, how the birth of Jesus affected their life. We are going to finish it next week. Um, next week, we'll be talking about our personal voyage. Um, it should be really cool. So join us again next week. Um, but today, we celebrate Christmas. Today, we celebrate the fact that Jesus was born. Amen. And Christmas is like my favorite. I love, I love Christmas for a lot of reasons. Cookies, um, cookies, more cookies, and just cookies. Like that's, that's what I love, the, the food. Um, but I also love Christmas movies. I'm a big Christmas movie fan. Anybody else? I love, I love, love, love Christmas movies. Um, we did a survey this week on Facebook. Maybe you saw it, maybe you participated. We asked what your top three favorite Christmas movies of all time were, and they're all over the place. We got tons of them. Some of them are up there. Um, some of those are good. Some of them are really bad, um, but some of them are all right. Um, but the top three that came across, across the board, like hands down, were these three right here. Gremlins. Now, I've been told Gremlins is not a Christmas movie. It is 100% a Christmas movie. Dude got the Gremlin, the Magwai as a Christmas present, right? And then there's the story about the dad coming down the chimney and getting stuck and breaking his neck, and they smelled him two weeks later. That's how they found him, right? Happy Christmas, right? And that's Christmas time. All right, so Gremlins, Christmas Vacation, that's a classic, is it not? How many of you are going to watch that this Christmas? I'm going to watch it like seven times this Christmas. Like, it is the best, except for the number one Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. It's the guys that believe. Listen, it happened at Christmas. It's a Christmas party. It's all Christmas, 100%. It's not Christmas. It came out in July. Shut up. Bruce Willis said it's not a Christmas movie. Again, shut up. It's a Christmas movie. And we could quote every line, right? yippee ki Oh, anyway. <laughs> it's central. Welcome. <laughs> it surprised me on that list that not a lot of kids' movies made the list. Because every Christmas, I think back to, like, the very first Christmas movie I can remember seeing. Um, it's a classic. Some of you will remember this. It's this guy right here. You know him? Now, now here's the thing. Like, it's a classic now. When I watch it for the first time, it came out when, um, it was 10 years old when, when I was born. And so growing up, like, it wasn't a classic. It was relatively new still. In fact, we were like, oh, wow, the technology. Woo! Now your, like, seven-year-old can make that on their phone, right? But Rudolph is the story of like how Rudolph came about. And I found out this week that the song actually was out first, and we all know the song. We can sing the song, right? We're going to sing the song in a minute. We're pulling a couple people from the audience, and um, you're going to come up here and you're going to sing. Um, you don't know who you are, but look under your seat right now if you've got a piece of confetti. I'm just kidding. But the song came out, and then the movie came out. And, and again, like, when it comes on now, like, I don't, I don't remember the last time I've seen the whole thing, but how many of you, like, if, you, if it comes on, you just stop for a second, and you're just like, it's just kind of nostalgic just to kind of see it. I, that, that's me. But there was a particular part in the movie Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that 
just baffled me when I was a kid. I didn't understand it because it wasn't a part of the song. And so it was in the movie, but then it's not in the song, and they don't put it in the song. And, and it was strange. And then a few years ago, I finally got it. As a matter of fact, we did an entire series on it, our Christmas series. It was one of my most favorite sets we've ever, ever done here. Um, we did it in 2020. It's the scene in the movie where they go to the island of misfit toys. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, in that picture right there, there's some sketchy things going on. Seriously, that, that's some messed up stuff. Things like Charlie in the Box. You, you know what I'm talking about? You, me, you remember if you've seen this movie, like everyone's talking about telling their names or talking about their Island of Misfit toys, and Charlie starts talking, and, and he's like getting ready to say his name, and Rudolph says, let me guess, your name is Jack. And he goes, no, my name's Charlie. Remember that? Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. Well, here's news, Charlie. Nobody wants a Jack in the box either. A Jack in the box is like the scariest thing you could ever give a kid. You teach a kid, take this little box, turn the little thing, keep playing as it, keep turning as it plays the song, and then a freaking clown jumps out. Clowns are scary, are they not? And, and so here, listen. Like, if you gave your kid a jack-in-the-box and they got, like, psychological problems down the road, it's on you, baby. Like, that 100% is your fault. And then there's the spotted elephant, which is, like, crazy, maybe cool on LSD or something. I'm, I'm not sure. Again, speaking to my audience, that's central. And then there's the squirt gun that squirts jelly. Like, that would be cool to have, wouldn't it? Like, take that down to family table. Or McDonald's and shoot the bugs as they go across the table. I don't know. <laughs> These toys are misfits, right? That's how they identified themselves. And it was crazy. Like, they told everybody, we're the island of misfit toys. And they even had a song about it. It was crazy. Now, the reason they were misfits is not because they thought they were misfits. Because here's the thing. They wouldn't have known they were misfits unless somebody told them. Don't miss that. Somebody labeled them misfits. Somebody outcast them. Somebody banished them to another island. And because of that, because of the labels that were placed on them, they, they were limited to life on that island, separated from everything else. And one of the things I've discovered personally is if we allow other people to label us, it'll limit us from the life that God ultimately wants for us. And we'll spend our lives on an island separated from some incredible things that God wants to do for us. But here's the truth today. I believe with all my heart that God actually uses misfits. In fact, I would go as far to argue that the misfits are actually the ones who get to see God work in their lives, who get to experience miracles. Now, the way I got all this years ago is I'm, I'm a visual person. And so that was the Island of Misfit Toys. But let me take you all the way back to the original Island of Misfits. It's the manger. Now, if you're from a church background, you're mad at me in your head right now. You're like, those are not misfits. Those are godly people. And you can't say they were misfits. They are holy. They are ordained. They are saints. No, they're not. They're not. Not during this time period, which we, we think they are now. Because we've got this like 30,000 foot view. We know the whole story. We know the Christmas story backwards and forward. We know everything about it. But in that picture right there, there's some sketchy stuff going on. There's some sketchy people. First of all, I don't think Flute Boy was there. I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if I want Flute Boy playing at my baby's birth or not. I don't know. Maybe it's soothing. I'm not, I'm not sure. 
But, but Joseph was there, and Mary was there, and eight pounds, seven ounce baby Jesus was there, and the shepherds were there. And in that time period, all of them were outcasts. All of them were misfits. All of them were labeled by people who honestly had no business labeling them. But, but the beautiful thing is, is they didn't let their labels limit them from what God had for them. They were able to break through with the power of one word. Yes. They said yes to Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about today as we talk about some of these people in the picture. So let's quickly go through them. First of all, there's a guy named Joseph. Now, Joseph, Joseph had a crazy family. Now, let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand because I know the answer. Does your family have drama? Anybody? The answer is yes, right? If you've got a family, you have family drama. If you're sitting here going, you know what, Pastor Ryan? I don't really have any family drama. You're the drama. You're the ones that are going to talk about all Christmas long. Seriously. Now, the thing is, when you get together with family, you never talk about sports, politics, or religion, right? And so if you were smart, I'm going to give you a little Christmas nugget right here. If you didn't do this, you can do it next year. If you were smart at Thanksgiving, you talked about those three things so you don't have to buy as many Christmas presents this year. Drama. Every family has drama. Well, Joseph's family was full of drama. His lineage started because his great, 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 great grandfather had sex with his daughter-in-law who had dressed up as a prostitute to seduce him. That's Jerry Springer right in the Bible. Hebrews gone wild spring break edition, all right? It doesn't start out good for Joseph's family line. And then his occupation. Anybody remember what he was? He was a what? He was a carpenter. And because he was a carpenter, well, here, here's what that means. In the Jewish school uh, system of schooling, you would go to school, and if you were smart, like if you could memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law, if you could memorize a bunch of scripture, um, and, and you could continue on in your education, and eventually you become a religious leader or a rabbi or a teacher of the law. And at some point, if they didn't think you could memorize enough, or if they said you weren't good enough, or if you had just had enough, they would say, all right, you're out. You need to go back and do what your dad did. You need to go back and kind of do the family business. And so the fact that Joseph is a carpenter tells us that he was rejected by the religious system. A system told him he wasn't good enough. You're not good enough to be with us. You can't be here. You can't do the things of religion. And so you need to go back and do what your dad said. So he stepped out of the religious system and stepped into being a carpenter. Now, if I'm God, and I'm, I'm not God, but if I was God, and I'm picking out an earthly dad to raise my son, you would figure he would pick out a priest, right? The priest. I mean, they're religious. They know the word. They know how the sacrifice system goes. They know all the commands. They know all of these different things uh, about, about the word, but he did not pick a priest. So maybe you would figure he would pick a tabernacle leader, or just a temple worker, somebody who worked in the temple, or somebody who at least lived in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem at the time is the center of all the religious activity. And so somebody who lived there would be the person who should raise the Son of God so he would understand the things of God. But no, God picked a carpenter who lived in Nazareth, a nowhere town. Basically a country hick who essentially was a school dropout. God said, that's my guy. That's my dude right there. And so people, people would have labeled Joseph 
as average. Just an average guy doing an average job, living in a small average town. But they didn't understand something that took me years to understand. God doesn't make anyone or anything average. Everyone here, you're created in the image of God. Custom designed by the creator of the universe. On purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose. You are a lot of things. You are not average. Average sucks, amen? God has a plan for your life, or you would not be here. We say all the time around here, if you're not dead, God's not done. Joseph, in that time period, was considered to be average, just an average guy, a misfit, an outcast. But the misfit got a front row seat to a miracle because he didn't let other people's labels of him define him. Therefore, the labels didn't limit him from doing what God wanted to do in his life. Now, He rejected at first. You ever told God no? I have, like yesterday. Joseph wrestled with what God wanted him to do. At first, he wasn't all the way bought in. As a matter of fact, at first, he wanted to run. I'll show you, because this is how the story goes. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. That's an awesome sentence. I love that. It's one of the greatest sentences in the entire Bible. That Jesus the Messiah was born. Jesus actually was born. Walked the earth. Lived a sinless life. Died for you and me. That's great. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a what? Virgin. Virgin. Not young woman, right? Virgin. She became pregnant. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hold up. Think about Joe for a minute. He's excited. He's getting ready to marry Mary, probably the girl of his dreams. And one day Mary walks in and she's like, hey, um, Joey, I got something to tell you. Uh, I'm pregnant. Say, what now? What you talking about? Like, we haven't even done anything. Like, like Mary, I know how things work. And, and the girl, I ain't touched you. We ain't done nothing. No, 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 no. It's cool, Joe. It's the Holy Spirit. At this point, I think Joseph struggled with what God was doing in Mary's life. He didn't believe. He didn't have faith. And I'm not judging him. If I was in his shoes, I would have struggled too. Anybody else? Listen, if you don't struggle with what God's asking you to do, you're probably not hearing God. Because God never calls us into a comfort zone. He calls us out of our comfort zone every single time. And so Joseph is struggling. He's like, "Um, you know what? Um, Mary, I think... I think is a bit much. Like, I don't, I don't really think God works that way. You ever heard anybody say that? I love it when people tell me, I don't think God works that way, Ryan. I'm like, I'm glad God's work is not limited to your imagination. Because verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. I love this, because right here we get a glimpse into Joseph's heart that people don't talk about a lot. Because Joseph could have disgraced her publicly. He could have had her killed. Like, according to Jewish law, he could have had her taken and been killed, and he would have been in the right, but he valued the relationship over being right. As he considered, verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I can see Mary in this dream, too, being like, I told you. I told you. You're going to listen to me. You're going to listen to the angel. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's another great sentence in the Bible. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, I bet, and took Mary as his wife. Let me ask you a question. This is not a a trick question. 
Did Joseph completely understand what God was asking him to do in that moment, yes or no? No. Joseph did not wake up and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the earthly dad of Jesus who's eventually going to grow up. He's going to have this great ministry and then he's going to be crucified. But that's okay because three days later, he's going to come back to life. Ultimately, he's going to save the Lord, the world. Yes, Lord, whatever you want. No way. No way he says that because this is all Joseph knows. Mary pregnant from the Holy Spirit. You want me to be the kid's dad? That's all he knew. See, oftentimes, I don't know about you, but this is just for me. Oftentimes, I struggle saying yes to God because God will say, hey, Ryan, this is what I need you to do next. And I'm like, okay, what about after that? And what about after that? Like, hey, God, um, can you show me like a five-year plan for approval? Because if I can't like put my stamp on it, man, I'm not sure I want to go with that. God doesn't do things like that. That's not how God works. Joseph knew what God wanted him to do in the moment. And Joseph got a front row seat to a miracle because of one word, yes. Yes. Okay, God, I don't understand what you want me to do. Like, I don't understand what you're asking. I don't understand how the whole Holy Spirit thing, and she's pregnant. Like, I, I don't get that, and I don't even understand the why. But God, you have clearly asked me to take this next step, and the answer is yes. When a misfit says yes and ignores the labels, the limitations of labels, that's when we can step into seeing a miracle. That's Joseph. The second person is Mary. Now, I, I know it's really insulting in today's age, today's world, in our community to call Mary a misfit. But the community she lived in, that's what she was. She was looked down upon. She was an unmarried, pregnant teenager. An unmarried, pregnant, she's 13 or 14 years old. Unmarried, pregnant teenager. Think about this for a second. Ask yourself this question. Be honest with yourself. As Mary walked around her village, unmarried, pregnant teenager, as Mary's walking around her small town where there have been rumors, do you believe that people believe the story that she was telling them? No way! And so they labeled her unmarried, pregnant, teenager, liar. You ever heard a rumor about you? You ever had one? If so, you know once a rumor gets out there, it's out there, right? Think about the rumors that Mary dealt with in her town, small town. People talking about her, putting labels on her. But listen, don't don't miss this. Had she let the labels of other people define her, the labels that other people put on her, the labels other people had no business putting on her, if she would have let them define her, she could have never stepped into what God had for her. Because when the angel shows up to teenage Mary, and says, Mary, it's what God wants you to do. God wants you to have his baby. Was this calling Mary out of her comfort zone, yes or no? <laughs> Absolutely. But the angel said, this is what God wants for you. And I love Mary's response. I, I'm pretty sure I couldn't have done this. But verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And so what got Mary the misfit a front row seat to the miracle? Very simple. She said, yes. She didn't understand how God was going to do what God was going to do. She didn't understand anything about how's a baby going to get put inside of me. She didn't understand how the story was going to fully develop. But in the moment when God said, this is what I want for you, she said, yes. And then there's the shepherds. I love the shepherds. I did a message on this um, a couple weeks ago. They are my favorite people in the, in the story, because I relate to them so well. The, the shepherds were used 
by religion. You say, Ryan, how do you get that? How can you even say that? Well, Bethlehem and Jerusalem are six miles apart. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jerusalem, Bethlehem are six miles apart. Jerusalem, again, I I told you earlier, it's like the epic center of the religious system. It's where everybody went for worship. It's where the temple was. And Jerusalem is where they would sacrifice the sheep and the goats and the bulls. A lot of sacrificing went on in Jerusalem. The temple is a place you would have to go to to have your sins paid for. You had to go to the temple in order to be made right with God. Bethlehem, six miles away, is where they kept the sheep that were used in the temple for the sacrifice, for the forgiveness of sin. And who's in charge of keeping the sheep in the temple that were used for the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin? The shepherds. There's a problem. The shepherds were considered to be unclean, nasty, dirty, outcasts, misfits. And the shepherds, because they were unclean, could not go to the temple. And if they couldn't go to the temple, they couldn't have their sins paid for. And if they couldn't have their sins paid for, they couldn't be made right in front of God. They couldn't have a sacrifice made for them. Think about that. The shepherds could take care of the sheep that were used for the sacrifice, but those sacrifices could not be used for them, for the forgiveness of their sins. They're raising the sheep. But they were unclean. They were misfits. Not not according to the Bible, but according to how people labeled them, according to how people saw them, according to how people talked about them, according to the religious leaders. And God said, watch this. And he bypassed the temple. And he bypassed the religious system. And he bypassed the religious leaders. And this is what happens in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night the shepherds were staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will be great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah of the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger, Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Can you imagine this? You're a shepherd. You're a misfit. You're an outcast. You're hanging out in the field with your boys and some sheep. The next thing you know, an angel shows up and then a bunch more angels and they start singing. Do you really fully understand what you're about to step into as a shepherd, yes or no? No. Do you really understand that you're about to see the Messiah, the one who had been promised for hundreds of years, the the Messiah who's going to be crucified on a cross and raised from the dead to pay for the sins of the entire world? Do you understand that's what you're getting ready to go see, yes or no? No. See, the shepherds were not good enough according to the religious system, but God looked down on heaven and he bypassed the whole religious system and he invited the unclean misfits to have a front row seat to a miracle. Had they accepted the labels the religious community had placed on them, they would have been limited by what everybody said about them and they would have missed the greatest event that has ever happened in the history of the world. But when God spoke to the shepherds, they said yes. Yes. They say, we don't understand. But yeah, (laughs) yes. We don't know what's going on. I mean, never seen angels and singing, all that before. But you know what? Yes. 
And because of the outcast, because of the misfit said yes, a front row seat to the miracle. So with all that in mind, let me ask you this question. As a matter of fact, this is what I want you, I want you to ask yourself this question. What do I need to say yes to in order to see God move in my life? What do I need to say yes to in order for God to move in my life? As we sit here on Christmas, and we understand the Christmas story, and we understand all the things about Mary and Joseph and Jesus and shepherds and magi and all of these other things, I want you to really focus in on the fact that they said yes. And had they not said yes, they would have missed out, each and every one of them. What does that mean to you? What does yes mean to you? Now, see, for me, I've been working on this message for a while, and all week long, God's been sharing some stuff that I need to say yes to. Um, it's some personal stuff. Hopefully, I'm going to say yes to all of it. I'm struggling with a couple things, um, but hopefully, I'll share it with you in a few months. It's, it's, but it's amazing to me, and I understand this, and I get this. Every time I say yes, God has done some amazing things, and God is doing some amazing things in my life. What is God calling you to do? What is God speaking to you at Christmas? What, what is the thing he's telling you to say yes to? And maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you're not quite sure what will happen next if you say yes. But, but you need to say it. You do. And, and here's the deal. I'm not going to start listing out a bunch of things for you that you need to say yes to because I want you to hear the Holy Spirit of God speak to your heart in this moment about this question right here. What do I need to say yes to in order to see God move in my life? Because that question right there is essential to experience a breakthrough in your relationship and your voyage with Jesus. What is that thing? What is the thing? And then what will you do? Because see, Christmas is a perfect reminder that again, Jesus was born. That God came down and walked this earth so he could provide a way for us to be with him forever. And, and he went to the cross and he died to pay the penalty for our sin. And he rose from the grave and he's alive today and changing lives. He takes all of us, all of us, even the outcasts and the misfits. And he takes us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And the fact that Jesus was born is, is proof that God loves you and God wants a relationship with you. All you have to do is say yes. Say yes to what he's calling you into. Say yes to stepping into a relationship. Say yes to stepping into what's next. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just, in the name of Jesus, I just want to pray for every single person in this room. God, that you would fill us with faith and you would fill us with courage to say yes. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, what, what is that thing? What is that thing, God, has been prompting you to do? What is, what is the thing that you need to say yes to? And it's scary. I get it. I understand that. But he's not going to call you into comfort. He's going to call you out of your comfort zone. What is that thing that sometimes has you just wringing your hands, but it's the thing you know you need to say yes to, to Jesus? Here's the thing. You need to understand he's not calling you into anything where he's not going to walk alongside of you. He is with you. He is for you. And he has chosen you for this very thing. He, he's not against you. He's not who the, he, he's, he's confirming in you that you're not who the label makers say that you are. You are who God says you are. Unconditional love, accepted. And you're able to do whatever he has called you to do. So what is it you need to say yes to? Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus coming into your life. You've never received him as your Lord and Savior. You've understood the story that he was born. The Easter, you celebrate that he rose from the grave but you've never applied that to your life. You've never asked him to come into your life and save you. Listen, I heard somebody say a long time ago that we need Jesus in our life 
Not because we might die one day. We need Jesus in our life because we have to live tomorrow. Listen, none of us are going to make it through life on our own. We need the help of Jesus and each other. And if you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ in your life, I want to give you that opportunity right now, right where you sit. You can just, just pray this prayer. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so if that's you, just right where you are, you can just say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me. Today I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the grave and I believe you did that to pay for my sin. And so today I say yes. Today I say yes to you. Yes to you coming in. Yes to me giving over control and and allowing you to have control. Yes to you saving me. Yes to you being my Lord, to be my God, to be my King, and to be my Savior. Yes to all of me for all of you. Thank you for dying for me, and thank you for saving me. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand up right where you're at, because we want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be ashamed. You can just stand up. We're not going to make it run forward. We're not going to do anything. But for you standing, we just want to celebrate you. We just want to celebrate. You are the reason we did church today. You're the reason we're here. We're here to celebrate Jesus, but we're here because Jesus Christ changes lives. Amen? And you just crossed over from death to life, and that's something to celebrate. Your life is forever changed because of one word. Yes. Yes. Yes, Jesus. Church, let's stand, let's close this service out, and let's celebrate together.